0: Well, as Matt said, we're wrapping up one of the most exciting seasons of the year here at Relevant. We call it Be Rich. And over the last few weeks, we haven't been talking about how to get rich, which is what most people talk about. Instead, we've been talking about how to be rich. And if you're new that, phrase be rich might sound kind of weird, but it's actually it actually comes from a passage in 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy is actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul in the first century to a young pastor named Timothy about how to lead and teach the, the people in his church to follow Jesus. And right toward the end of the letter, Paul wrote this. He said, command them and The them that Paul's referring to are followers of Christ, people who have put their faith in Jesus by asking him to be the forgiver of their sins and leader of their life. Command them, followers of Christ, to do good to, and here's our phrase, be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. See, according to Paul, as followers of Christ, we're called to be rich. And the way to be rich is to give generously, serve sacrificially, and love extravagantly. And that's exactly what we do through our annual Be Rich initiative. Once a year, we practice being good at being rich together by combining all of our resources to give, serve, and love in Jesus' name without expecting anything In return, And the reason we do this every year is because as we practice being rich during this season together, you have a much better chance of being rich in how you give, serve, and love the rest of the year. And the more that happens, the more you'll see and experience God's transforming work, the transformation he wants to do in you and in your relationships and in us as a church and in our community and in people's lives on the other side of the world. Now last week, we talked about the second way to be rich, which is to serve sacrificially. And then we all had the opportunity to put that into practice and serve sacrificially yesterday at our annual serve day. And it was such a great day. And I am so proud of the hundreds of you who chose to be rich and communicate to our community that we are for them and so is God. And It'll be fun to kind of show the highlight reel from next week and give a recap of, of, of Serve Day of what we did yesterday. But to kick off our Be Rich season two weeks ago, we talked about the first way to be rich. We talked about the word give. And then we all had the opportunity to give generously to what we call the Be Rich offering. Now if you're new, this is an offering we take once a year that we Challenge a hundred percent of us to give to, and our promise is, is that we give a hundred percent of it away to our amazing nonprofit partners. And we handed out these books the first week; it has all of our partners in them. If you weren't here, you want to see this book again? Uh, they, they're at the back doors on your way out, or if you want to view it online, or you're watching online. You can view it on our mobile app or on our website. Everything in this book is on our app and our website as well. Now, our first be rich offering was in 2019. Over the past four years, through the Be Rich offering, we've given away one million ninety-six thousand seventy-six dollars to our nonprofit partners and organizations, and that is that's this has blessed our partners in huge, huge ways. Well, this year we were praying for more than ever because more than ever before, because we want to help our partners make a big, bigger impact than ever before in 2024. So, you guys ready to celebrate the Be Rich offering? All right, now listen, this ain't, this ain't a solo thing. This is the, we got to do this together. So you guys got to help me out a little bit. You ready? Come on, let's get it. Ah, come on, ah. Hey, if you ain't clapping, you don't love Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Here you go. You ready? Let's hear it. hundred and eighty four dollars baby that is amazing that's more than what's than ever been given here at one day at relevant shoot that's more than what's been given over the last three months to relevant and we're giving it all away it's so awesome here's the deal this didn't happen because a few of us gave huge gifts this only happened because a majority of us chose to respond to what Jesus was inviting us to do and give generously. I am so proud of you. This is going to be a game changer for our partners and a life changer for the people that they serve in 2024. So let's praise God again for that. Yeah! Relevant! Well, to wrap the Be Rich season up today, we're going to talk about what may be the most difficult, the most demanding, yet the most, Im- most important way to be rich, which is to love extravagantly. And it may be the most difficult, and demanding way to be rich because the word extravagant, you know what it means. The word extravagant means lacking restraint. It means exceeding what is reasonable. Now, everyone, it doesn't matter what you believe about God or the color of your skin or your political views, everyone says they value love. I mean, think about it. The message we constantly hear from the media, from our parents, from our friends, from celebrities, from teachers is love others. You should love other people. Everyone should just love everyone. But what does that even mean? The truth is that extravagant, you know, lacking restraint, exceeding what's reasonable, extravagant is not what most people, and if we're being honest, is not what we mean when we say love others. It's not because if we're being honest, how we typically love is based on what seems reasonable. I mean, think about it. Most times, how we love is based on what they deserve. We go, Of course, of course I should love them, but you don't know them. You don't know what they did. You don't know how they treated me. You don't know how they hurt me. They don't deserve it. Well, so often, we love based on how I feel. And we go, oh, of course, of course, loving people is important, but I can't love people who make me feel hatred and devalued, you know, who, may, who cause me bitterness and, and resentment, who fill me with anxiety. Come on. Most times, how we love is based on if they love me first. Go, oh, of course, of course, love's important, but I can't love people who aren't loving me. And, and come on, come on, come on. Most times, how we love is based. On how lovable they are. Of course love's important. But all that person does is disagree with me, argue with me, interrupt me. They're a jerk. They, they think they're better than everyone else. They're, they're, they're so opinionated. They make me uncomfortable. And have you heard about all their views? They, they have the most jacked up views. How can I possibly love someone who's so unlovable? And Paul's response would be, loving reasonably, <laughs> that is not how to be rich. That's not how to be rich because that's not what true love is, at least according to Jesus. Now listen, if you're a follower of Christ, if you're someone who said that you have put your faith in Jesus, that you've asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and lead your life, what I'm about ready to say next is so important, don't miss it. We can't follow Jesus and love reasonably. Following Jesus requires we love extravagantly. And Jesus took the word extravagant to a whole new level. He took it to a whole new level the night before he was crucified in John 13. And let me just tell you, if there was only one message that I had to preach for the rest of my life every single Sunday, there's only one message I was allowed to preach for the rest of my life every single Sunday, it would be the message I'm going to give today. And it would be this message because the only way we can follow Jesus, and come on, come on, come on. The only way we can truly call ourselves followers of Jesus is by being obedient to what we're about ready to hear Jesus say. And listen, what we're about ready to hear Jesus say, us being obedient to it, the implications of it are so huge. They're so huge for you, they're so huge for your relationships, they are so huge for what God wants to do in the world. So, Jesus, the night before he was crucified, gathered his 12 disciples together for one final meal that we now call the Last Supper. And at that meal, with his best friends, in the middle of it, he said this. He said, a new command I give you. And by the word, that command, it's, he's not using it, it's not the same word that Paul used in 1 Timothy 6. The way Paul used it was a basically, I strongly instruct. The Greek word here in Greek's the original language the New Testament is written in. The Greek word here, command, Literally means commandment from God. <laughs> so all the disciples are sitting there going, Jesus, only God can give new commandments. And Jesus is going, you're right, and I'm about ready to give you one. Now, what be about ready to say is, here's the one thing I require of, of, of my followers above all else. A new command I give you. Here it is. Love one another. <laughs> and the disciples are going, Jesus, that's not new. You've told us that before. You've already told us the most important thing to God is to love him with all heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And then what Jesus did, he took the love he requires of his followers to a whole new level. As I have loved you. So you must love one another. What Jesus did here is extraordinary. What he did was here he, he anchored what he, what is described now as the New covenant command Jesus new covenant command to love one another just as he first loved us he anchored that he anchored that love not to what was reasonable, not to the golden rule he anchored love to himself essentially he was saying that I am the new standard of love for you from this point forward how I have loved you is now the standard for which you are to love one another from this point Point forward, And I imagine as as the disciples were sitting there recalling all the way Jesus loved them over the last three years that they didn't deserve and the patience he showed them when they did not deserve for Jesus to show them patience and the grace that he he gave them when they did not deserve his grace and the forgiveness that he gave them when they were so unforgivable and the acceptance he, he gave them when they were completely unacceptable. As they're mulling all over that, just thinking all the ways that Jesus loved them the last three years, they had no idea that the next day Jesus would show the full, extent of his love for them by dying on the cross in their place to save them from the death penalty they deserve because of their sin against God to forgive them for what they did not deserve to be forgiven for. And that's a whole new level type of love. That's a whole different type of love. That is definitely something new. That's extravagant. That's love that lacks restraint and exceeds what's reasonable and then jesus looks at them and he looks at us and he says now you are to love one another just like that and here's why by this by this one thing not the songs you sing not the prayers that you pray not the bible verses that you have memorized or how much of the bible you know not the doctrine that you have not the Sunday morning attendance that you have, not how much you give or how much you know. By this one thing, loving others how I have first loved you, everyone will know that you're my disciples. He's saying by that one thing, everyone will take notice that there's something different about you. Everyone to know that you have a relationship with me. You're truly one of my followers. You will stand out like a bright light in a dark world if, 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 if you love one another. By the way, when you're reading the New Testament and you see the phrase, the law of Christ, Whenever you see the phrase, the law of Christ in the New Testament, this is what the New Testament writers are referring to. This new covenant command that Jesus gave to love others just as he first loved us. So the bottom line, I believe Jesus is saying this is so important. If you're a follower of Christ, if if you say you have put your faith in Jesus, you've asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, you say that he is your Lord. Don't miss this. Here's the bottom line. Jesus' extravagant love for us requires extravagant love From us. Jesus' extravagant love for us requires love from us that lacks restraint and exceeds what's reasonable. Jesus' extravagant love for us requires loving with the same extravagant grace, mercy, salvation, forgiveness that he first loved us with. Jesus' extravagant love for us requires loving with the same undeserved, unwarranted, unsolicited, unexpected love that he extended to us when he died on the cross in our place. Not to earn his love but because this is how he first loved us. So how could we not do the same? Not to earn his love but because Jesus' invitation was and is, follow me and this is Jesus' one new covenant command for how? Not to earn his love but out of an overflow of the extravagant love that we've already received from him. Not to earn his love but because this is how Jesus' love is experienced and felt and known today. Not to earn his love but to proclaim his love and point people to him he says by this one thing the world will know that you are my disciples which means this is how a watching world comes to the conclusion that there's something different about us and about the Jesus that we say we follow which means this is the greatest apologetic because it stands in stark contrast to how the world loves and Jesus, he made the starting point of this extravagant love so clear with a phrase that he said three times in these short two verses. The phrase, one another. The one another's in that room, the other disciples. And now the one another's with the other followers of Christ. One another. Now, as a follower of Christ, are we required to extravagantly love everyone? Yes, but it starts with one another another first because how can we possibly love the rest of the world like Jesus first loved us if we can't even love our brothers and sisters in Christ like that? Listen, if you're a follower of Christ, you've got to hear this. Our extravagant love is to be our brand. Loving others just as Christ first loved us is what we're supposed to be known for as Jesus' church, as Jesus' followers, but the reality is it is not. Just ask someone who isn't a follower of Christ what we're known for. We're known for a lot of things. This probably ain't it. And why? Because how we, I'm not talking about relevant community church. I'm talking about all followers of Christ. How we love so often is no different than the way the rest of the world does. Than people who have never accepted Jesus' love for them. We belittle people in the same way. We cancel people in the same way. We hold grudges in the same way. We don't forgive in the same way. We gossip in the same way. We dishonor in the same way. We lie about people in the same way. We lie to others in the same way. We're easily angered in the same way. We're not patient in the same way. We put ourselves first in the same way. We give up on one another. In the exact same way. A couple weeks ago... Had a conversation with a guy from Relevant, been part of Relevant for quite a while. Follower of Christ, loves Jesus, came to me and told me, hey, man, me and my family are leaving Relevant. Now, you have to know this person's family has been all put their faith in Jesus as being a part of Relevant. All been baptized. Whole family has been completely transformed. So when he told me this, I was crushed. I'm like, dude, like what atomic bomb went off that would cause you to leave Relevant? This is literally what this person told me said, I have been so offended and so hurt by someone here at Relevant. I cannot and will not be part of the same church as someone like that until they apologize to me. And I feel that their apology is sincere. Now, I have no idea how this person thought I was going to respond to that. But I know he didn't think I was going to respond in this way. I said, hey man, is that how Jesus has first loved you? Like, you ever offended Jesus, you think? You ever hurt Jesus, you think? And he just give up on you and walk away from you? Is that how Jesus first loved you? He became more offended. I have not seen him since. Evidently, he was really offended after that. Come on, guys. We say, God loves you. Jesus loves you. We say, I love you. We've accepted and we sing of Jesus' undeserving love for us and amazing grace for us. We want to be known as people of love. But so often, we love with what they deserve, how I feel, if they love me first, how lovable they are kind of love. We love based on what seems reasonable. Instead of based on how Jesus has first loved us. Now what if... Listen, I'm a nobody. I don't know anything. You can read the Bible and come to whatever conclusion you want to on this yourself. I'm just saying, what if? What if someday when we, those of us who have, are completely undeserving of God's love for us and grace for us and forgiveness for us, what if we, followers of Christ, someday, when we're standing before Jesus, he chooses at that moment to extend the same grace, the same mercy, the same forgiveness, and the same love to us, that we have chosen to extend and give to one another today. I don't know. What if? You come to your own conclusion. You, you read the Bible. You come to a conclusion of what you think he's going to do in that moment. All I know for sure is that Jesus' extravagant love for us requires extravagant love from us and that extravagant love is to be our brand. But so often how we love is no different than the way the rest of the world does and we wonder why our marriages don't look any different and are falling apart. We wonder why our relationships don't look any different and there's so many hurting and broken relationships. We wonder why there's so much disunity in the church. We wonder why we've lost all influence in the world relevant we can change all that but there's only one thing by this jesus said one thing and it's not better doctrine it's not going to more bible studies it's not having more faith it's choosing to love one another just as he first loved us and there are no loopholes there are no loopholes in the extravagant love Jesus extravagant love Jesus requires of us but John the same John who was one of Jesus' 12 disciples and who was Jesus' best friend, the same John who heard everything Jesus said for three years and saw everything Jesus did for three years, the same John who was at the Last Supper when Jesus said these words and he heard them with his own ears, the same John who was an eyewitness to Jesus' death and resurrection, that John. That John knew that we would try to find loopholes, which is why he wrote so much about the law of Christ And one of the places he does is in the New Testament book of 1 John. And here are one of the many things that John wrote to followers of Christ about how to apply Jesus' new covenant command. He said, this is how we know what love is. What's love, John? He says, here's how we know. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. He says, we know what true love is by looking to one person, by looking to Jesus, by looking at Jesus' extravagant love for us, by looking at Jesus literally laid down his life on the cross for us. Us, people who are completely undeserving of his sacrifice and his forgiveness and his mercy and his grace and his salvation, and his love. And he goes on, and we, and we, as people who have accepted his love for us, the second that we put our faith in Jesus asking Jesus to be the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our life we and we ought to and by the way that little greek word ought to the phrase ought to there literally means we owe it to we owe it to we owe it to Jesus to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters for our brothers and sisters in Christ for Jesus church for other followers of Christ for one another How do we love others just as Jesus first loved us? Well, according to John, by laying down our lives for one another just as Christ first laid down his life for us. According to John, as followers of Christ, there is no loopholes in the type of love that's required of us. The question is, what does it practically look like to lay down our lives for one another? Well, back to the Apostle Paul. Paul told us what it looks like in the New Testament book of Ephesians. And in Ephesians 5, Paul introduced us to a principle that I believe may be the pinnacle of what the law of Christ looks like. A, a, a principle that doesn't require we literally lay down our lives for one another, but it will feel like it at times. And Paul described this principle in four words. And here it is. Submit to One another. Now, unfortunately, many of us view the word submit negatively, and we understand it means it's something that Paul and Jesus and John did not mean for it to mean. It doesn't mean to roll over and do whatever someone tells you to do. You know what submit means according to the Raja New Testament? Submit means to leverage everything that I have, And everything that I am, my authority, my influence, my power, my resources, my options, my benefits, my assets, my time, my rights, for you and your benefit. It means to lay down my pride, myself, my wishes, my demands, my way, my will, and sacrifice all of me. What I want, how I feel, what's best for me, what I need, what I deserve, what's most beneficial for me, for you. For what you need. For what's best for you. For what will be for your benefit. And why? Because that's how Jesus first loved us. By dying on the cross to offer forgiveness for our sins. And the love he now requires of us with one another is to lay down our lives and give up all of me for you for what's best for you. Well, Paul, you don't know them. And you don't know what they've done. And you don't know how they treated me. And you don't know how unforgivable they are. And you don't know how bad they hurt me. They don't deserve it. And Paul would look at you and me and say, you and I didn't And don't deserve Jesus' love for us either. We don't do this because they deserve it. We submit to one another, don't miss this, out of reverence for Christ. And the extravagant love that he first loved us with. We forgive because we've been extravagantly forgiven. We show mercy because we've been given extravagant mercy. We give grace because we've been given amazing grace. We reconcile with one another because Jesus sacrificed his life to reconcile us back into a relationship with God that we broke because of our violation of sin against him. Submit to one another Out of reverence for Christ. This is the principle of mutual submission. And this principle lived out with one another, it changes everything because of the message it communicates. You know what message it communicates? It communicates, I am for you. I'm for you. You already know that if we all felt like we were for one another, it would change everything. Because what normally gets communicated, come on, you know this. What normally gets communicated by all of us is you're here for me. You're here for me, and what I need, and what I want, and what I deserve, and what's most beneficial for me, even if it's not beneficial for you. That's why the principle of mutual submission uh, changes everything. It changes everything because it's a, it's, it's a race to the finish line of you first, you first, you first, you first, you first, that, f- that, a, a, uh, that fosters a climate of selflessness, Come on, extravagant love can't coexist with selfishness. It can only be given and received within a climate of selflessness. The principle of mutual submission is how we practically lay down our lives and love one another just as Christ first loved us. And when we extravagantly love in this way, it's powerful. It's powerful because it's this secret ingredient for great marriages, having a healthy church, creating great work environments, developing authentic relationships. It's powerful because it's how we experience and feel and see Jesus' love today. It's powerful because it's what improves current relationships, men's hurting relationships, heals broken relationships. It's powerful because it's how people know that we are followers of Christ, that we they know, it's how they know we're one of Jesus' disciples. It's powerful because it shines so bright in a very dark world. It's powerful because it's how a lost, broken, and hurting world comes into contact with the saving power of the love of Christ. It's powerful because it's transformational. It transforms hearts. It transforms souls. It transforms people. It transforms churches. It transforms relationships. It transforms communities. It transforms nations. It transforms you and me. So relevant. Let's do this. Let's be rich and love extravagantly. Now I know our church. So I know we all want to love one another just as Christ first loved us. But I also know how hard it is and that we don't always know how to. So I want to teach you one powerful question to pray. And from my experience in my own life and watching so many other people's, if you consistently and intentionally pray this question, I believe that God will lead you how to practically apply the the principle of mutual, mutual submission right now at home, at work, at school, in your small group, in your T-Life group, when you're ticked off at that person, when they hurt you. This is how we practically, God will show you how to practically apply if you ask this question. It's a simple prayer, but don't underestimate the power of it. And you ready for it? Here it is. What can they do for me? Come on. You know that's not the question. You know that's not the question. And you know it's not because that question won't lead to extravagant love. It only leads to extravagant selfishness. Unfortunately, it's the question that we naturally ask all the time. What can they do for me? To be rich and follow Jesus, we got to ask a question that's so counterintuitive To what we normally ask. And you already know what it is. What can I do for them? In other words, how can I lay down my life and sacrifice all of me for them, for what's best for them? This is the question. This right here is the question. Essentially, that Jesus prayed that ultimately led him to the cross. What can I do for him? What can I do for her? What can I do for him? What can I do for them? That's why this prayer will help us move from what reasonable love, like everyone else, to extravagant love. You know this, love is an offering, it's a gift. When we love, we're giving something. This prayer really is, God, what undeserved, unsolicited, unwarranted, unreasonable, unrestrained, unexpected love can I give them that will benefit them? Not because they deserve it, not because I feel like it, not because they love me like that, not because they are lovable, but because that's how you first loved us, when your spouse lies, when you see someone hurting, when you're angry at them, when you don't feel like loving them, when they aren't loving you, when they aren't being lovable, when you're in a fight with your friend, when your parents hurt your feelings, when you want to fire back on social media, when you want to quit on that relationship, when your boss is getting under your skin, when they made you feel like crap, when when they don't deserve to be forgiven, pray this prayer, listen, and respond. And we don't naturally do this. So let's let's practice it out loud a bit, a little bit. You ready? Here, you know, let's practice it all out together. One, two, three. What can I do for holy crap? I mean, dang! You know why we aren't known by love? Because that's about as excited as we live our life saying that question. We're all real excited about what can you do for me. So let's do this at least like we mean it in the safest environment imaginable before you get in a fight with your spouse a little bit later. You ready for it? Here we go. One, two, three. What can I do for them? This prayer is so simple. The answer may be uncomfortable and responding may be hard. Responding, ready for it, may feel like you're laying down your life. But it's a game changer. It's a game changer for them. It's a game changer for your relationships. It's a game changer for you. One quick story. I could tell many stories of this, but one quick story is um, some of you know my brother. Um, My brother's name's Eric. About eight years ago, my brother Eric and I, and we were super close, uh, but we had a huge, huge falling out about eight years ago. And my brother hurt me in a way that's hard to describe. And I felt so violated by him. So hurt by him. It spun me into a depression. That I had to go through fresh start for. Like it messed me up. And I was so hurt by him. And I was so angry at him. To where him and I didn't talk for a year. We didn't talk for a year. That's weird. I could have killed him. Like I'm, I was so hurt and so angry at what he did to me. And during that year, though, we had to go to, like, the family functions, family Thanksgiving and family Christmas. And finally, before about seven years ago, before family Thanksgiving, I texted him and I said, dude, I'm not doing this again. I'm not going and sitting in the mom and dad's house with you again, acting like we're getting along and it being the most uncomfortable three hours of my life. I'm not doing this. So if we can't work this out, I'm just going to tell mom and dad, you and I can never be in the same room again. So I'd love to get together and try to work this out. And he said, all right, let's get together. Listen, so we got together one night. If you'd have saw that conversation in a silo, you'd have been like, I don't know how healthy that was. But him and I needed it so bad. My brother and I, we were both sitting on the edge of a couch. Couches were across from each other, both on the edge of the couch, screaming in each other's face as loud as we possibly could cussing every word you could possibly cuss in each other's face, saying the most hateful things and hurtful things to one another that we could possibly say to one another. And the only reason that neither one of us stood up is because we both knew if the other one stands up, this thing is ending up in fists. And I didn't want to kill him. You know what I mean? I just wanted to, you know, he knew that would happen. And so, (laughs) and I think it was only by the power of the Holy Spirit, I truly, because I would have never done this, I think it was only by the power of the Holy Spirit in that moment I felt like I was supposed to ask, what can I do for him? And I didn't want to ask that question. And we're yelling and screaming. I was like, what can I do for him? And in that moment, I felt like God say, ask him how you hurt him and ask for his forgiveness. And I was pissed because I didn't hurt him. He hurt me. He did this to me. So I'm like, no, we ain't doing that. Mm-mm. I'm just going to continue to yell at him. Ask him how you hurt him and ask for his forgiveness. And it was the hardest thing I ever did. I said, Eric, tell me, man, how I hurt you. And he just unloaded on all the ways that he felt so hurt by me. And all I could do was just ask him to forgive me, just own it, and not make excuses for it. And my brother for the last year had never once apologized to me for anything, had never said I'm sorry for anything that he did to hurt me. And I don't know what happened in that moment, but after I said, Eric, will you please forgive me? He looked at me and for the first time in over a year, he said, Ronnie, what did I do to hurt you? i got to tell him, my brother, for the very first time, I'm so sorry. I did not realize that it caused you that much pain. And my brother and my relationship has been completely reconciled and restored. But it never would have happened without this question. The question that the principle of mutual submission begs to ask. The question that extra- of extravagant love is what can I do for them? And listen, you already know what it would do in them. If you prayed and listened and followed Jesus to respond to how he is leading you to to with them, and you already know what it would do in you if they did this. It would be a game changer. But the reality of it is, it's called mutual submission. Which means it requires that we all choose to do this with one another. But someone has to go first. And I know you want that first person to be them. But I think that Jesus wouldn't be inviting that someone to be you and to be me. Unfortunately, as hard as loving others just as he first loved us is, it's equally unnatural. So we've got to practice. And as we close out our Be Rich season, I want to uh, invite us all to take what I'm calling the extravagant love challenge this week. Just one week. Here it is. It involves two questions. Here's the first question. Easy question. Who is it hard for you to love right now? It will not take you long to identify that. It could be a spouse, parent, kid, neighbor, coworker, friend, small group. That question's easy. Who is it hard for you to love right now? Here's the second question, a little harder. You already know what it is. What can I do? What can you do for them? What can you do for them? Pray, listen, then follow Jesus and love them extravagantly this week in whatever way Jesus is leading you to love them. It could be something very simple. It could... Or it could be something that feels like you are laying down your life for them. No matter how easy or hard it is, it will be for you. I challenge you to love them just as Christ first loved you this week. And if they ask why, or if they say you didn't have to, you tell them the reason I chose to do this is because I love you. I can't guarantee what will happen to them or your relationship, or you, this week if you accept this challenge. But I can guarantee that we, Relevant Community Church together, would unleash an unprecedented way of Jesus' love this week. And I can guarantee that's how God is most glorified through us. And glorifying God is ultimately why we be rich. So Relevant, let's be rich. Let's be rich and communicate to one another and to a watching world, I am for you. Let's be rich and love one another just as Christ first loved us. Let's be rich and love extravagantly. Let's be rich because Jesus' extravagant love for us requires extravagant love from us. I want to say one more thing just real quick before we walk out of here, and that's to those of you who have never put your faith in Jesus. Today you heard me talk a lot about Jesus' love, the extra, extravagant love that led him to die in your and my place on the cross for the death penalty that we deserved because of your, because of my violation of sin against Holy Creator God that broke our relationship with him. And the message you need to hear today is that God loves you because he loves you because he loves you because he loves you. And Jesus wants you to know and experience his love. And he wants to give you what he died on the cross and rose from the grave to give you salvation, eternal life and all you have to do to accept him and accept his love and accept what he died and rose to give you is to put your faith in him asking him to be the forgiver of your sins, your savior and the leader of your life saying I want to follow you as my Lord and my God you need no pressure to do that but today if you feel a stirring I'm going to give you an opportunity to, to, to pray that to put your faith in Jesus as I pray and I believe there's no better time than to accept Jesus' extravagant love for you then right now. Dear Lord, Jesus, we just are in awe of your amazing love for us, for dying for us, for doing for us what we could not do for ourselves just because you loved us. How could we not love one another in the same exact way? So Jesus, I pray that we choose to do that. We choose to love extravagantly and I pray people come to know you more. We come to know you more. Um, you do a transforming work in us and our relationships and our community. Um, Lord, and for every person that's ever put their faith in you, Jesus, if they feel that stirring to do that right now, I pray quietly that they choose to do that where they're at in this room, at home, wherever they may be, that right now, quietly, they confess their need for a Savior because of their sin. They declare, Jesus, that they believe you are that Savior because of your death and resurrection. And right now, they put their faith in you, Jesus, asking you to be the forgiver of their sins, their Savior, and the leader of their life, their Lord, their God. Thank you for loving us, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.